the musical stylings of Steve Malcolmus and his jicks herald another episode of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and in fact, this is the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio in which we discuss fantasy baseball, of course. Uh, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is Rotographs contributor Zach Sanders, and of course, while it would be an exercise in futility to enumerate all of the topics upon which we touch, in the following audio presentation, allow me to tell you that some notable topics include, first of all, relief pitching situations of note, especially those roles at the back of the bullpens across the major leagues, who will be getting save opportunities, what bullpens have seen some turnover of late, and how might certain bullpens and certain relief pitchers specifically be affected by the trade deadline. Moving on, Sanders and I look at some rankings from the midseason. Of course, Rotographs has submitted their position-by-position consensus ranks. What, for example, do those look like compared to the beginning of season position-by-position ranks? Discuss that briefly. Also discuss briefly the Futures game, who stuck out particularly for Zach Sanders. And finally, I seek counsel from Zach Sanders. I seek his assistance for some idea of how I might stave off Jackie Moore. Fangraphs contributor Jackie Moore in the Fangraphs Auto New Staff League. It's full of facts, it's full of opinions, it's full of Zach Sanders. It's Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio, and it begins post haste. owners are chasing them are most reliant on, I guess, uh, transactions or uh, injury. Um, there's certainly, you know, there's a, there's a great deal of turnover in general at the back end of bullpens with a save stat. Um, I don't necessarily ever have a good picture of the, what's what the most recent information is regarding it, but I do know, for example, that recently, or that perhaps now, Matt Caps is coming off the DL. Is that a fact? I believe that is a fact, yes. They're going to try to... I'll showcase him for a trade. They're going to showcase him for a trade, which means that he will be getting uh, saves, save opportunities. I'm not sure if that's the case. I think they're hoping he pitches well. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if during the ninth inning, but Glenn Perkins has been pitching pretty well, and so it's hard to take them out, but if they really want to show that Caps is a closer, I guess they can put him back in the ninth. Right. Now, um, that's an interesting thing that you note that, you note that one thing that um, – um, that I like that Eno does quite a bit and uh, is to sort of make a science of um, these sort of decisions, especially uh, bullpen-type decisions, playing-time decisions. And I think that one thing that Eno's found is that one indicator uh, of a pitcher's likelihood for, um, for getting future save opportunities is if he's getting save opportunities in the present, um, which sounds obvious enough. Um, but, but he's taken a look and confirmed that that's the case. Uh, and as you mentioned, Glenn Perkins has done uh, a pretty good role. Exactly, ha- uh, has done a pretty good job, I should say, as the, as the closer. But I'm curious as to how exactly, uh, how well exactly he's done. Well, throughout the year, he's actually had his best strikeout rate. Um, he is, I believe, four and zero in save opportunities. Although, never mind, he's got blown saves. But he's got four saves. He's got actually three blown saves this year. Although, with the blown saves, those are actually nice innings. Kind of hold the game down, but he's got a very good uh, 
what I like to look at is shutdowns and meltdowns, and he's got a very good ratio of that this year. And so he's been good in late innings. He's pitched in the late innings the last couple of years. Um, he's always been, the last couple of years, he's been a reliable holds guy, too. And so it's hard to not see them using him since, like you said, they're using him now, and so once the Cats move, they'll probably just slide him back in. Right. And uh, we should note, uh, we should note not just Glenn Perkins, but also uh, um, Fangraphs reader and recent um, double guest, um, um, both uh, Fangraphs Q&A and Fangraphs Audio, Glenn Perkins, if we were to give him the correct epithet. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, right, having a, having a very good season. Uh, in terms of other movement... Uh, at the at the uh, save opportunities, has there been anything of late that that uh, comes to mind for you that uh, readers will need to know about? A lot of it isn't what's necessarily happened late, but what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks as we get to the trade deadline. For example, uh, Kansas City is going to be one to watch because they're going to try to move Jonathan Broxton, who's just an All Star, so it helps pump up his status. Um, they have two guys. They have Greg Holland, who's very very good, and they have Aaron Crow, who's also very very good. Uh, coming into the season, it was Holland versus Broxton, and so that makes you in Holland, but he's also had some bad luck this year, balls in play, he's been injured, his control hasn't been great, and also Aaron Crow is sort of a bigger, more household name because he was a high draft pick. And so I think we might actually see Aaron Crow slide in once Jonathan Broxton will probably get traded at the deadline. Okay, and now and now, where is uh, Kelvin Herrera then, so far as that bullpen goes? Because he's also been pretty good, hasn't he? I don't know. <laughs> Kelvin Herrera. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelvin Herrera, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is a fireball-throwing right-handed reliever in the Kansas City bullpen. But it's actually sort of interesting, I suppose, that you, um, someone who... Um, uh, is, uh, for all intents and purposes, a fantasy baseball expert, uh, would not necessarily know who Kelvin Herrera is, um, because I guess because he's not getting save opportunities, right? I mean, do you, do you sort of find that for you, you sort of uh, have a, uh, you sort of edit as you self-edit or edit the way you look at baseball rosters, like if a guy is not necessarily relevant to your immediate fantasy success? or even um, less immediate, that maybe he doesn't uh, even really register with you? I mean, obviously I try not to, because that's not going to do a whole lot of good when you, you know, when you're posed with a question like this, so you've got a guy coming up. Um, a lot of it is done with mostly research in the offseason, uh, trying to figure out who's in organizations, who could come up throughout the year, so you sort of have them on your radar. You know, for example, Kevin Arroyo was not on my radar coming into the year, and so that's why it's a little hard. It took me a little bit to get adjusted to him. Um, there are other ways to do it, but yeah, it's, it's hard when guys aren't getting saved because then they don't show up on the top of rankings list when you're trying to generate reports and things like that. And because cold leagues are starting a little more popular, it is more important that we pay attention to some of those guys and maybe, and maybe they're middle relievers, maybe they're seventh inning guys. Yeah, and I can't uh, speak, to, I guess uh, um, I've uh, surreptitiously uh, found um, Kelvin Herrera's Fangraphs page as we've been uh, talking here, uh, he appears to have 12 holds, I guess. Uh, 12 holds, no saves, and a blown save. And then in terms of shutdowns, meltdowns, um, he appears 9 and 5. So uh, I guess none of those are, are sort of the things that would catch your eye, uh, although it should be noted at the same time uh, that he has a 
XFIT minus. Uh, you know, he's striking out about four times as many batters as he's walking. So those are all good things. All very good things. Yeah. Um, so Kelvin Herrera, uh, now let him be on your radar. Forever will be. Forever, forever will be. Uh, well, here's a question, too, another one that I'm curious about, because in the Fangraph Staff League, uh, a topic that we shall uh, address before the end of um, this episode, uh, but in the Fangraph Staff League, I own Sergio Santos, who mm-hmm. was excellent as the White Sox closer last year um, and has been um, mostly um, unavailable as the Blue Jays, uh, as a Blue Jays reliever this year um, because he's injured. But where is he? Oh, he's still on the DL as of now. Um, it's hard to say because he has been on the DL more than once, I believe, and so it's Guys are coming up and down, and you never really know how they're going to be. And there's a bunch of guys like that right now. There's guys like Carl Crawford, Evan Longoria, where they've been on a DL, and you know we're expecting them back, and all of a sudden, nothing, and they don't come, and you never know when exactly they'll be back. Um, I know that Santos has started to do some rehab work on all the throwing. Um, they're monitoring him, and so I mean everyone's kind of hoping it's not another setback because they could really use it their closer for the stretch run as they try to come back into the playoff chase. And adding a injured closer like that to a fantasy team when you get towards the playoffs here and towards the end of the year is essentially like adding a top for Asian or adding a, a trade target. Okay. Uh, now, also with regard to the, to the back end of a bullpen, also in Toronto, uh, curiously, Zach Sanders, just as you and I have been talking, this is serendipitous, in fact, just as you and I have been talking, uh, Jack Moore, Jackie Moore, uh, Jackie Peanuts, as he's known to the to the, to the public, um, in our Fangraph Staff League, has uh, started an auction uh, for Toronto reliever Casey Jansen. Toronto reliever mm-hmm. Casey Jansen. What is Casey Jansen doing now? He's been pitching well since we uh, moved him into the closer role, um, which we kind of thought about. I believe we talked about him last time I was on, too. He was just starting to transition in as uh, Coco Guadero was blowing safe. And, you know, he's a, he's a decent reliever. His numbers have been, you know, really good this year. He's got best strikeout rate of his career, best walk rate of his career. And, you know, he's been a little bit lucky, but he's still just putting away hitters right now. So it's hard not to see him continue doing well because he's had, had some quietly good years out of the bullpen in the last, uh, two years, 2010, 2011. He was, you know, pretty quietly good because he wasn't getting safe because he wasn't even racking up holes. He was just sort of a middle reliever. And so I think he can still be a very good closer. He's not going to be elite, but top half closer, entirely possible. Now, um, uh, to, the, to, the, to that uh, point, um, how much do you think, um, what do you think Jack Moore will put as his maximum bid on Casey Jansen? Or I would guess he'll put in about, Three dollars. Three dollars. Now, do you think that um, do you think that Casey Jansen, for a team like Jacks that is in contention, do you think Casey Jansen is worth three dollars? I think he is because for three bucks, at the very least, you're going to get someone for a few weeks that'll probably be a closer, and after that, he'll be a high leverage guy um, with a high strikeout rate. And so, I'd say if you're in the hunt, spend three dollars on him. Okay. Now. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk again uh, because I'm anxious to uh, talk more about this, s- specifically the uh, the staff league. Um, uh, but you did mention two players uh, who 
have been injured um, and whose injuries perhaps have been a little bit mysterious and nagging, um, and both in the AL least. One of them is Carl Crawford. If I'm not mistaken, Carl Crawford uh, had begun a rehab assignment at AAA Pawtucket. Uh, mm-hmm. um, be, he's coming back from arm problems. He then uh, tweaked his groin, um, but then I think he played again. Uh, he's back from the groin injury uh, Thursday night or whatever. Does that sound like Correct. something and that could... Yeah. Yeah, he'll actually play, um, the plan is at least to play him in AAA um, today and tomorrow, Friday and Saturday. Um, I believe he'll have Sunday off and then come back to the Red Sox plan on Monday. Um, I mean, this is all barring a setback or another injury. But I'm not sure they really should be rushing him back the way they are, especially since he has had multiple injuries. Um, but he is an interesting guy to pick up if he's on the waiver wire. Um, 12 team leagues maybe after last year, I'm not so sure, but... Definitely if you're in a 14-team league or an AL-only league, you have to snatch him up and see, see if he bounces back, see if he plays like Kyle Cropper did in, Toronto, in Tampa Bay, and if he does, that's a huge addition. Right. I mean, you know, especially with with uh, the, the groin injury of late, I mean, do you think that he's going to contribute in the in the stolen bases category like he has? Or, or are you just sort of, you know that he has that talent somewhere um, and you're picking him up uh, on the likelihood that he could or the possibility that he could produce that? It's more than a possibility he could, because I don't think he will right away. Uh, the groin, if he's still nagging a little bit, he'll have to take probably a couple weeks before he starts stealing bases at a high rate again. Um, it's really going to come down to his batting average. If he puts up a good batting average, then he's getting, I mean, he's getting on base a lot. He'll have more opportunities to steal, more opportunities for a run. And that's really what you're going to be using it for. Now, um uh, another outfielder for the Red Sox is Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh, what is his status at this point? I believe he's been activated from the DL. Oh, well, there you go. There it is. So there he is. Oh, yeah, he had a shoulder subluxation. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty serious. And, I mean, is that? do, do we know anything about that sort of injury and how it affects, you know, um, power, for example? Because Ellsbury, um, after not seeming like... He, a player who we we would really even expect to develop power, uh, I believe it. You know, somewhere in the vicinity of 30 home runs last year. Um, coming into this season, that's not something we would have necessarily expected him to repeat. Um, but do you think that, or from what we know of that injury, is that uh, something that's going to affect power? Something that's going to affect contact? Or do we assume that uh, you know he's going to be uh, the sort of player we would have assumed he would be at the beginning of the season? Well, I think even looking past the specificity of that injury and looking you know just as shoulder injuries in general and they're going to adapt players power um he may come back to that next year where we start seeing him develop that power again work in the offseason maybe have a repeat or somewhat of a repeat but for the rest of the year i think he'll probably be more of a speedster he didn't hurt his leg so i think he'll try to use his legs to the advantage beat out some hits um hopefully still hit some line drives and get on base at a high rate so he can steal bases but i wouldn't expect the power to necessarily be there for the rest of the year now, with Crawford and Ellsbury um, both um, either coming back or already back, um, what is the sort of picture uh, right now um, among Boston outfielders? And I guess who is sort of the uh, on the short end of the fantasy stick here, or the playing time stick? Well, it looks like it's probably going to be between Daniel Nava and uh, Cody Ross, and I suspect they'll let Cody Ross continue to play um, on a somewhat everyday basis. Uh, maybe they platooned him. I'm not quite sure. 
but uh, Ryan Sweeney was actually having a pretty interesting fantasy year up to the point because he was hitting for high average and really was available everywhere. But he's going to be stuck on the bench. He already is with Ellsbury back. And so it's really going to come down to whether or not they want to continue to see if Nava can keep putting up high routine numbers or if they want to platoon him with, with Ross and go with Ross's arm and right. It's going to be a combination of things. And it's probably going to be a very, very fluid situation. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, Daniel Nava there, too, and you, you mentioned that, of course, he's had uh, high OBP numbers. Is he the sort of player who's going uh, who's gonna to end up being a lot more valuable in a, in a sort of linear weights-type league than he is, um, uh, you know, in a sort of 5 by 5 type league, just because of, you know, his game is more based on patience and, and not necessarily um, athleticism or great strength? Yeah, I would say so. Um, maybe even in an OBP league you can get away with it. But it's going to come down more to the linear weight. He's not going to hit many home runs. He's not going to steal many bases. He's not going to hit 300. But he is going to get on base at a high rate. And, you know, and there's always the possibility of a few steals and a few homers. And so linear weights leagues, yes. OEP leagues, maybe. But apparently, no. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, yes, of course. Also in the AL East. Also another nagging injury in in. Um, one uh, about which I think uh, was uh, maybe John Heyman or Buster, Ol- uh, Buster Olney uh, uh, tweeted an ominous message. Um, of course, I'm making reference to Evan Longoria. Uh, one of the aforementioned baseball scribes suggested that the Rays can't guarantee that Longoria will return this year. Yeah, it's been a pretty serious injury, the fact that he just hasn't been able to get healthy and rehab it properly. He, every time he keeps, Every time he tries, he hurts it again or maybe most likely never healed right in the first place. And so with an injury like that, and since he is such a long-term part of what they're looking to do, they're they're not going to rush him. They're going to let him take his time, and they're going to make sure that he's healthy before he comes back. And that's actually, you know, something that we had to look at while doing, for example, our Fangraphs ranking for the second half, is that this guy is very talented, and when he's healthy, he can put up these huge numbers. But how much do we expect him to play? And that, you know, forced us to rank guys like Longoria much lower than, than other players that, when healthy, aren't even at their caliber. Right. Now, with regard to those rankings, I'm curious, uh, um, how long, uh, now, how often uh, are you with the uh, Rotographs uh, uh, contributors producing these rankings? Well, we produced them at the start of the year and updated them in May. And then this is our last, late, most latest update. It's the all-star break. We sat down and... Uh, figured everything out, and we all submitted our rankings, and we're you know, essentially averaging them out and getting a consensus. Okay, so this is the methodology. It's uh, um, uh, everyone has access to every position. Um, you rank them, and then there's sort of a uh, there's an averaging that occurs. I believe so. I can't see it being. I'm not the one that averages it, but I can't see it being done the other way. Okay, all right. Uh, and so, what are we finding then uh, with regard to these rankings? Um, I suppose uh, are there are any surprises. In your opinion, or are there any surprises, just generally speaking, given what we knew, you know, in April and May? Um, there's a few surprises. Uh, the ones I've been getting hit for is uh, Adrian Gonzalez and Prince Fielder at first base. I have Gonzalez seventh and actually dropped Fielder to eleventh, while everyone else had him fourth. Um, the problem is with a lot of these rankings is that we're not presenting a, a tiered system when we're submitting these. We're submitting just our order, and so what what the readers see. And with the numbers, is not necessarily reflective of what you know we're thinking. It could be, well, I see everyone from 4 to 11 in the same light, and I could go either way on them. And so it's kind of just uh, playing around with them from there. But a lot of things is just how much do we weight 
you know, last year versus part of this year versus what we see, what we hear from scouts and what we hear from writers and what the players say, it's a very delicate process and it's actually more difficult than doing the ranking of the offseason. I'd much rather rank in the offseason where you can have more time. You can sit down and really weigh out the past years in a somewhat consistent manner, unlike these where you're kind of picking and choosing where, well, I don't think this is indicative, but I think this is. And so it becomes really, uh, it's really a delicate process in the midseason where it's, it's not as much so in the offseason. Now, uh, you mentioned that you ranked Fielder 11th, I guess. Um, you, and you also mentioned the tiering system. How does uh, Fielder's ranking sort of, uh, what might the number 11 ranking might not reveal? What do you mean by that? Well, which is to say you say you know, you say you rank him 11th, but you also appear to be suggesting that if you had a tiering system, um, you know, or if you were implementing a tiering system, that uh, that your ratings might look different. Um, how would that be different? Well, I think for me, first base, after you get past really uh, the one-two of Cabrera and Votto this year, everyone's relatively similar. You're going to get certain things from each one of them that you're not going to get from others. So you're going to get from Teixeira, you're going to get some power, some RBI, but the average may not be there. You know, guys like Fielder, hopefully the power's there, but they'll have the average too. Canerco, Butler, things like that. And so a lot of these guys, you know, you're playing with maybe a difference in a dollar or two within 10 ranking spots up top. And so if you saw the tiers, you'd probably notice that, you know, well, okay, maybe you shouldn't be ranked below these guys, but they're in the same tier. It really isn't that big of a deal. You probably wouldn't trade one for the, you know, you wouldn't really think about trading one for the other if they're about the same ranking. And so what what is the reason, though, for uh, for Fielder not being among the very top uh, first baseman? What a... Um I haven't necessarily paid a lot of attention to Prince Fielder. He's not on any of the, my fantasy teams. Um, I assumed he was, you know, behaving like Prince Fielder usually does. Uh, has anything changed, or is he just uh, less valuable than than even I thought in terms of fantasy? Um, there's some little things that I've noticed with him that you know are bothering me. And of course, there's always the risk of injury. Even though he hasn't been having injury problems in the past, sort of you know with his size and whatnot, it's always an issue. Um, one thing I've noticed is that while his strikeout rate is quite down this year, some of the numbers behind it necessarily haven't changed, and so we may see that pop back up. Uh, the key word there is may. We really don't know. Um, because it's midseason, we can't say for sure which of these is really going to matter for when we're trying to pick out three months' worth of production instead of a full year. You're really playing with fire for the most part. Now, uh Moving on from this, um, uh, mid- the middle of the season is not only good for sort of uh, taking a look back at what's happened in terms of rankings. Um, it's also good uh, in the sense that one thing that occurs, probably the, I mean, for me, really the only bearable aspect of the uh, the entire sort of all-star festivities, um, you know, what there is of it, uh, is the futures game. Uh, the Futures game is really cool uh, because it sort of, I guess, uh, helps to uh, crystallize um, the, the sort of uh, concepts of who the top prospects are in the game. And then, of course, uh, the real benefit is it allows you to see them play. Um, I know, for example, a couple years ago uh, is when I first saw, probably like a lot of people, uh, Mike Trout play. Um, and, of course, Mike Trout uh, you know, has become... Um, probably quicker really than anyone could have realistically imagined, uh, a legitimate MVP candidate. 
Um, I'm curious uh, for you um, watching uh, this year's Futures game, if you did indeed watch it, uh, if, if anything uh, sort of stuck out to you um, and what, you know, especially as a fantasy owner, um, you know, what you might have noted. There was really uh, four players that really stood out to me, and they weren't necessarily even the four players I was coming in um, looking for and trying to get a better feel of. But uh, one of them was Will Myers, who just is, you can see on even on TV, just an imposing guy. He's big and strong. Uh, he's got the power. He doesn't hit with batting gloves, which is weird, but, but kind of cool. Um, guys we like should, Andy Holton. Well, we should, well, we should know. Will Myers, I think uh, something like 27 home runs at the uh, at the All Star break. Uh, I believe that number is correct. I might even be a little low. Right, right. Which is to say, I mean, and that's that's roughly what like at this point Jose Bautista has, uh, what Josh Hamilton has, and uh, not only is the AAA season has it been uh, shorter than the Major League season to date, uh, fewer games. Um, uh, you know, this is a uh, Will Myers who you know was not producing anything close to these power numbers last year. Yeah, Myers had a down year last year, uh, probably because of injury. Um, the question not is, you know, will he be a stud in the majors, in my mind. It's it's when and at what position. Um, right now there's not room for him in Kansas City in right field and left field. Um, they've been trying him in center field and AAA, but odds are it's not going to stick. Right. So, And he has I'm, played, uh, and he did play center field, I guess, uh, during the Futures game, although that might have been more a matter of convenience or, you know, that could even be an arrangement, I suppose, you know, between the Royals and uh, uh, George Brett, of course, who was the, the Futures game manager for the U.S. team. Right, just getting him more looks. There also could be, of course, like you said, that uh, when you have certain guys out there and the watchers aren't exactly constructed, <laughs> looking, at, looking at defense as the top priority in those parts. Right, right, right. Uh, so Another Myers, player I saw. yeah, right, yeah, right. No, I'm, I'm saying, I'm, a, I'm uh, wrapped with anticipation uh, for who you, the next name coming out of your mouth. Um, the next name that I was really looking at and enjoying watching was uh, Danny Holston. Um, it's important to note when you watch him that his command was actually awful. Of it. Uh, he was, he tended to get up in the zone a little bit too often during the Futures game. That could be because the guys are trying to throw too hard and press scouts. Um, but when he was working low in the zone, he, he looked great. His changeup uh, was majorly really great. It reminded me a lot of someone like Jason Vargas' changeup, another Mariners pitcher, where, where the fastball may not be their biggest weapon, it may be a breaking ball, but that, that changeup is really what's going to set them apart and allow them to get through hitters. Uh, were you surprised, uh, generally speaking? I mean, Holson, uh, of course, he got hit a little bit. Um but that was not really uh, an exception. That was more the rule in this edition of, uh, of the Futures game. Of course, there were uh, over 20 runs scored between the two teams. Most of them were by the uh, U.S. team. But the world still managed five runs. The world team did. Uh, you would think that you take some pretty excellent pitching prospects who are usually ahead of hitting prospects at a younger age, and then you give them work in short inning stints. You would expect, uh, one imagines, um, you know, to see pitching dominate, but that was not really the case at all. Were you, were you surprised by that, or is there some explanation for it? I was surprised. Um, my guess would be the explanation is that even because they're show, throwing short stints, they're going to try to throw the ball harder, and when you try to throw the ball harder, you're going to lose command. Um, 
And for the most part, when we see these guys, not, not all of them are, you know, big league ready, and some of the hitters they're facing are close to it. You know, we saw some guys that are still very, very raw pitching. You know, even though guys like Holton and Dylan Bundy got hit a little bit when they're a little more advanced, a lot of those pitchers that are going to play in that game, especially on the, the world team, are are quite low in the system, and so they're still a few years away from really facing a lot of those hitters they were facing in, in the minors. All right, so you've given us two names. You've given us uh, Will Myers, um, of course, hitting for excellent power in the minor leagues this year. Danny Holson uh, was someone whose name you mentioned. Uh, who's number three on this list? Um, the third one I was looking at was Jerickson Profar. And really, I just came away impressed. Um, the kid's 19 years old, and he's already holding his own in double A. He's an excellent fielder. He's got the skills of the bat, switch hitter. Um, they're going to have to find a spot for him whether it be trading Andrews uh, for value if they can, uh, trading Profar himself to see if they can get some value back. But right now the the Rangers infield is uh, looking cramped, especially with you know Profar and Mike Olt also in the same system trying to come up. But they're going to have to make room for Profar because he's just too good not to be in the majors in the next up to 18 months. Right. It should be noted that Jerks and Profar um, – uh, Noted for uh, for having a plus glove at shortstop, uh, also hit a home run uh, for the world team. One of only two players in the world team did a home run during the Futures game, and uh, you know still rather slight of build, um, but showed excellent bat speed um, despite that fact. Um, what do you think about the prospect maybe of Ian Kinsler making his way to the outfield to allow room either for Andrus or Profar to move to second? That's entirely possible, and I think uh, even more possible if they do not re-sign Josh Hamilton this last season, because then you could see the need for, uh, I don't know if they play Kinsler in center, but he's got some wheels, and so maybe they could. But with, if Hamilton's gone, it opens up room in the outfield uh, for both guys like Kinsler and guys like Leonis Martin, who's still in AAA. Right. Now, as a fantasy owner, um, knowing that both Jerks and Profar, and as you mentioned, Mike Olt, are, are prospects who, you know, if not now, uh, will likely be major league ready soon. Um, but also knowing that they're blocked by two other excellent players in Elvis Andrus and Adrian Beltre, players who were signed for a while. I'm curious how you approach that as a fantasy owner. Do you do you look for those players just based on the town alone, assuming that if they don't get up there with the Rangers, they'll get up through some other system? Or or do you shy away because the situation's uncertain? You have to shy away a little bit because you're not going to get the immediate return that you'd like. An example I'd use is a guy like Yonder Alonso. Uh, now in San Diego, was with the Reds, and so he was he was in AAA the year before, actually, and so it was sort of people were holding on to him as a potential keeper, as a late round guy, as a prospect they want on their organization, but there wasn't room for him, and so he actually came up maybe a year later than he needed to, and so that actually hurt owners who had held on to him. And so that's the thing you have to worry about is there's not an immediate opening, so you have to discount their value a little bit because their their short-term value is going to be lower, but their long-term value is going to be the same. Those top prospects are, if they're ready for the major league, there's always going to be a room for them either in the team they're on now or they'll be traded to a team that can use them. Okay, Myers, we had Holson, we have Jerickson Profar. You're not really going out of much of a limb there, but that's fine. Zach Sanders, uh, number four on your list, sir. 
the fourth guy that really made an impact with me was uh, Garrett Cole, who we, of course, know as a top pick last year from the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he really looked like he did in college for me. He had electric stuff, but he was still erratic. He, you know, his fastball looked great. He has a you know, good slider, but can he rein it in? Can he be consistent outing after outing, even inning after inning, enough to be a, an impact pitcher in the majors? He's going to be in double-A right now, and so we could actually see him middle of next year. If not earlier next year, if they decide that they don't want to worry about service time and they're, they want to take a run at it early on, he could be up to the start next year if he makes a team out of spring training. Um, of course, we know Pittsburgh is contending right now, uh, the first place in the NL Central. Uh, they are not necessarily, they don't necessarily have what we, you know, the sort of true talent level that would suggest that they should be contending, but they're there. Uh, you know, do you think that, that it is a, a possibility that, you know, regardless of what happens this year, that they do try to make a sort of uh, a run at it starting from the beginning of next year, given the success that they've had through at least one half of this season, and knowing that they have some um, prospects on the way, not only uh, in Garrett Cole, but also in Jamison Talion, for example. Right. I think they will make the push next year. Uh, they're going to try to acquire a bat at the deadline this year if they can, but I don't think they're willing to move top prospects to do so. And, you know, guys like they've done in the past with Ryan Ludwick and Derek Lee don't always work out because you're getting guys that are in the middle, middle of the road and probably later in their career. And so I think they make their big push possibly in the offseason if they decide to spend some money and see if that if that can get them anywhere. And most likely see if those prospects can develop on time. I don't think Talion's going to be ready next year at any point. I think he's still another 18 months away. Um, and what, one uh, player from the Futures game I'd like to ask you about, um, I hadn't I had really only heard his name uh uh, before the game, um, I had known that he, you know, he was uh, sort of towards the uh, the top, uh, if not the top, of a lot of uh, Detroit Tigers prospect lists. That's Nick Castellanos. Uh, he's a third baseman. He served as a DH for uh, for the U.S. in the Futures game, and you know probably had the best all-around game offensively. Uh, in uh, five five plate appearances, he had three hits, including a home run. Also had a walk. Uh, I'm curious as to you know to what you know to what degree were you familiar with Castellanos before, um, and what you know what did you sort of take away from his performance in this case? Uh, as, you know with a fantasy slant. Before the game, I was only mildly familiar. I'd heard his name, I'd done a little research into him, but I'd never actually seen him play. Um, he looked he looks like he's pretty good, and he's moving through the Tigers' ranks a little quickly. Um, they're pushing him because they think that he can do it, obviously. But he's hitting for a really high average in the minors, but not necessarily with the power that you'd think, you'd think a guy of his size and his build would have, um, at least not the home run power. Um, we've seen the home run power when he's been promoted to double-A this year, but other things are stuffy. His strikeout rate's not great. He's walking less than 2% of the time right now in double-A. And so there's things that he obviously needs to work on. There's a chance he's ready middle of next year. Um, I think we look more at end of next year as uh, his ETA. Okay. Uh, finally, before you go, uh, I'd like to uh, appeal to your fantasy expertise um, and uh, get any sort of suggestions you might have for how I should handle uh, the second half. Of course, I'm in first place. I'm 
mentioned this a number of times on the podcast. It's certainly the fantasy Friday edition of the podcast. Uh, first place in the Fangraph Staff League. Um, I think uh, speaks to my talent as a fantasy owner. But, of course, uh, part of being a great leader um, is, is uh, seeking advice, uh, seeking counsel from, from uh, knowledgeable people. And I'm curious... How do you think I can hold off Jackie Moore? I'm about 100 points ahead of him. It's a linear weights league. And 100 points, could be uh, that could be a good day for Jackie, and he could find himself, or we could find ourselves, tied. Uh, I have, for example, uh, both Andrell Simmons. I mean, he was on my bench, but probably most more to the point. I have Evan Longoria, um, and you know he's been on the DL for a while now. I think I have him at around, let's see, I have him at $52.00 which is uh, money that could be getting spent elsewhere if I were to drop him. Um, you know, that's probably the player with whom I have the most money tied up, but I also have uh, Sergio Santos, for example, on my roster for four. Uh, you know, do I get rid of Longoria, for example? Do I look for talent elsewhere? Do I maybe make a trade? I, uh, I would seriously consider dropping Longoria and, you know, cutting that half the salary off your system. Um, I mean, you need to be honest with yourself and ask, am I really going to keep Longoria for $54 next year? And the answer to that question is no. Right. And so if he's not going to be able to make an impact while you're making the title run, there's not much of a point of having him. You might as well spend that dollar, spend that money elsewhere. Um, right now, looking at your roster, I'd say you could probably use another outfielder. Um, you're right on pace for innings, but maybe a top-end starter could be nice if you can put together a package for him. Yeah, it should be noted I do have uh, Josh Hamilton, Desmond Jennings, Alex Gordon, um, uh, Brian Lahair, and Andre, uh, Andre Ethier. But yeah, you're right. Uh, with Lahair's playing time, I mean at this point Lahair's playing time is um, questionable, perhaps for the duration of the season. Lahair's playing time is questionable, and you know even though Jennings is such a young you know, a potentially young stud. His numbers this year have not been great, and so maybe time to sort of bench him and wait till next year with him. Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe what I could do in this case is to cut Longoria, which would open up, uh, you know, over twenty-five dollars, and then maybe make a package of a couple younger players for uh, a slightly overpriced but still effective frontline starter. You think? I think that'd be the way to go because right now. Your rotation's okay, but it's got some guys that have underperformed, and you have some guys now like you know Dylan G, who was doing well. Uh, Felipe Paulino had had a good early run, and there's guys that have been hurt. And that while you've gotten by so far by uh, by getting starting pitcher eligible relievers, which is an interesting strategy, um, I think a top end starter always helps because you can really get the the most out of those innings throughout the rest of the year. <sighs> so are we going to make a trade then? I don't know who you want. Well, who do you have that would meet that description? Do you have a top-flight outfielder or starting pitcher that uh, that you need off your team? I have Felix Hernandez. How much is he? Forty-six dollars. Forty-six dollars. Hmm. Well, I don't know if I could roster him. I can always give a loan too. Yeah, you could. Well, guess what? This uh, conversation just got a lot more interesting. Uh, I wonder if this will happen. We could maybe have a sequel next week. Let's talk about the possibility of Felix Hernandez going from Team Zach, which is not really an inspiring nickname. Maybe that's why uh, your team is uh, so low down in the standings. 
uh, and the very handsome, so that's my team, my triumphant team. Uh, I wonder if uh, perhaps the next time we talk, Zach Sanders, our two teams will have made a trade. I think there's a very good chance that they will. Yeah. All right. Well, very exciting. Uh, thank you uh, once again, Zach Sanders, for joining us uh, for the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Thanks for having me. Stirring, as always. That is Zach Sanders of Rotographs uh, and the Internet at Large. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been, once again, the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Oh, oh, oh.